Hustle. It's 6 a.m. Rise and Shine. Let's talk sports and welcome to The Grind. And good Tuesday to you, and welcome inside the WKVL studios of Rocky Top Sports. I'm Wayne Kaiser, and you're listening to the Tuesday edition of The Grind. You ever you ever have that moment when you're like, what day is it? Well, that just happened to me. So if you haven't had one, then just live vicariously through me. So today's Tuesday. Uh, let me keep saying that so I can get adjusted. But uh, today's Tuesday edition of the grind and we'll we'll uh, dig right into some big time stories uh in the world of sports as we as we go through today's show but you know a lot of different things happen and and i hope people listen to yesterday's show because uh yesterday was one of those moments when you, you know this is fun like every day but yesterday uh coach lon hirschburn and and the and Tony Iruli in studio with with myself and Boone, and, and really just the dynamic that was uh, the history that that Coach Hirschburn could unfold uh, was was di- I mean it was crazy between his time here as a player at Tennessee, playing with Johnny Majors, having that insight into being recruited by General Nealon, playing with Johnny Majors, uh, you know the list goes on and on. We talked after the show yesterday. For, for probably another hour uh, talking about, you, you know, him him coaching with George Caffigo and, and all the, the dynamic that was Tennessee in that timing. Uh, just, just again, want to thank Coach, uh, you know, Coach Hirschburn and, and just really uh, – it's a, it's a moment that we'll uh, – we here at the show will cherish for a long time. And, and as we've tried to share it on social media, uh, it's hit a lot of different places – uh, yesterday afternoon and into the evening. So again, uh, thanks to Tony Iruli and 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 Booner for setting that up. And again, Coach Lon Hersbrin, uh being able to come in and and really just take it in with us and and share for for the better part of an hour and a half. Uh, share what what happened with him all the way from Washington D.C. down to East Tennessee. And in his quotes, uh, he loves the mountains, loves the ocean. Two things big enough men can't screw it up. And I love that. That's probably one of my favorite quotes from the day. But as we move to Tuesday, got to kind of catch up from the weekend and do a little do a little backup. Uh, as we'll talk NASCAR a little bit, we'll talk about the, the breaking news, the Patrick Mahomes huge deal, and we'll talk 60 days until it's football time in Tennessee. Uh, as you look at, at the weekend, Sunday, uh, Brickyard 400, no fans in the stands. Uh, a little bit of a of an interesting dynamic, especially at Indianapolis, where you have the the pagoda and you have the the little front stretch that has stands on both sides, and, and they're they're running and and it it's like the longest race because one it's delayed because of lightning, which NASCAR's plagued with. They they if you want to know where it's going to lightning, you know where it's going to storm. Follow NASCAR. More times than not, you're going to be in the mix if you're a storm chaser. Just follow NASCAR. But 
Indy results saw Kevin Harvick reclaim uh, the Brickyard 400 Championship, his second straight victory on Sunday as he as he basically outlasted Denny Hamlin. Uh, you know, Denny Hamlin had the car to beat there late in the race. I think about seven laps to go. Uh, his right front tire just let go, and he slams the wall. Ends his day really quickly, and Kevin Harvick goes on to separate, uh, take off one last restart, and, and claim the, the victory there at Indianapolis. Like I said, his second straight victory at the Brickyard, uh, and, and one that uh, that puts him uh, squarely in the race for, for big-time positions on the all-time wins list. After trading bold passes, Denny Hamlin uh, and Kevin Harvick throughout the race were battling, uh, but Hamlin's wreck seven laps before the finish allowed Harvick to claim the victory. Kenseth, Matt Kenseth, the rejuvenated, coming out of retirement to replace Kyle Larson. Matt Kenseth came out of retirement to finish second and had a real shot at the end if there would have been uh, an, an additional overtime restart. Uh, he, he came out of retirement. That's his fourth second-place finish at the Brickyard. But nonetheless, he got it done. Eric Amarola finished third, and Cole Custer, rookie, finishes fourth. Tire of Trouble uh, was the theme of the afternoon. It claimed Alex Bowman, uh, William Byron, Denny Hamlin, among others. Uh, it, it was a it was a, a, a almost a uh, uh, who could outlast people. Uh, and I know Kevin Harvick was probably sweating there right at the tail end because the number of laps he had on his tires was very similar to what Denny Hamlin had on his. But Kevin Harvick wins the race. Matt Kenseth, Eric Amarola, uh, Cole Custer, and Brad Keselowski uh, round out your top five. Kyle Busch, Michael McDowell, Tyler Reddick, Bubba Wallace, and Joey Logano finish in the top ten. Chase Elliott just outside in 11th. Uh, number 12 spot went to Christopher Bell. Kurt Busch sat at the 13th spot. Ty Dillon and Clint Boyer round out your top 15. Other notable uh, finishers, Daniel Suarez, Matt DiBenedetto, 19th and 20th, respectively. Uh, there were nine different leaders, uh, 11 lead changes, nine cautions uh, at the Brickyard, and really just uh, just one of those deals where you just had to make it to the finish, and Kevin Harvick uh, happened to be just there uh, to get it done. But, uh, you, you know, the story was, uh, the weekend was, uh, the Brickyard weekend, and it was one that was going to be without fans, so the dynamic was already different. And then it seemed to be Friday, uh, July the 3rd, when the news broke that seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion Jimmy Johnson had tested positive for COVID-19. That was a dynamic we had to deal with Sunday as uh, Justin Allgaier uh, jumped in the number 48. And and I love this article, and, and let me give the CNN guy credit for, for who wrote this. Or actually, the Miss Jill Martin and Leah Amzalash uh, of CNN wrote this article. It said, in Jimmy Johnson's absence, Justin Allgaier will drive the number 48 Chevy Camaro ZL11LE for Hendrick Motorsports. Glad we got all that in there. Uh, it said seven-time champion Jimmy Johnson has tested positive for COVID-19, will miss Sunday's race in Indianapolis, according to Hendrick Motorsports. Johnson tested positive Friday afternoon after learning that his wife, Chandra, had tested positive according to a news release. Uh, it said, again, uh, Algar will jump in the ZL1 Camaro for Jimmy Johnson. 
on Sunday at the Big Machine Hand Sanitizer 500 in Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Those who know me knows how hard it was for me not to call it Ham Sanitizer. My my five-year-old for a long time, he's, he now says it correctly, which kind of it breaks my heart, but for a long time when he was really little, he, he couldn't say Hand Sanitizer. Because if you think about it, you have to enunciate a little bit to get that out. He would call it Ham Sanitizer. And I still just think that's like my favorite thing, ham sanitizer. But Jimmy Johnson says, my first priority is the health and safety of my loved ones and my teammates. And he said, I'll never, I've never missed a race in my cup career, but I know it's going to be very hard to watch from the sidelines when I'm supposed to be out there competing. Although this situation is extremely disappointing, I am glad to come back ready to win races and put ourselves in playoff contention. Uh, The news comes weeks after NASCAR restarted its season on May 17th. Other American sports have slowly followed despite rapidly rising coronavirus cases uh, in the U.S. Earlier this week, six players of the Major League Soccer team football club Dallas uh, tested positive for COVID-19. So again, Jimmy Johnson is not the the only, but he is the latest uh, to test positive. And again, the first driver in NASCAR to have said virus so you, you know I, I think it's a it's one of those steps in the in the wrong direction for Jimmy Johnson he he is is slowly approaching uh the missing of an opportunity for a postseason run of course with him missing a couple races because he's at least going to be out for two weeks and given that he was diagnosed I guess on a probably a Thursday uh, I would say he's going to be out at least another race, possibly the following. We'll just have to see how he, he gets cleared and, and how he uh, he moves forward. But the good news is Jimmy Johnson's very, very healthy, and he can hopefully uh, recover accordingly uh, in 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 a very short time. Because, again, he's a, he's a runner. He's a, a, a fitness guy. And so we'll hope to see the best out of Jimmy Johnson. But, you know, moving forward – uh, I think it, it just raises that question, you know, how do, how is NASCAR doing entry testing to each weekend? Uh, how do they understand, you know, what what people are going through? Was Jimmy Johnson asymptomatic, or had he not? Has he not yet seen the sickness side uh, of the of the illness? So we'll we'll just have to wait and see uh, how that works out. But with him missing a couple races, kind of where I was alluding to, uh, this is going to put Jimmy Johnson squarely uh, in a case where. He has to uh, he has to win races. Uh, he has to uh, to to get in victory lane for this thing to work. But nonetheless, uh, it, it is it is frustrating uh, for Jimmy Johnson, I know, and it's frustrating for Hendrick Motorsports. But I think it gives an opportunity uh, for guys like Justin Algar, uh, Noah Gragson. Uh, you know, honestly, in my opinion, when the news broke on Friday. Uh, Laura's like, did you hear that? And I said, well, I hadn't, but you know, I'm not surprised. I think at the at the elevation of the cases and and the more testing that we do, the more people we're going to find with this thing. Uh, again, some asymptomatic, some some what have you, and, and so I I wasn't surprised. But she, her next question was, is who do you think they're going to put in the car? And, and me personally, if I was to put somebody in the car, it would have been Noah Gragson, just because I like the way he drives, I like what he's doing. But I think in the in the short term, really quick turnaround, Noah Gregson's cup experience is very limited. Justin Algar, he's he's been up and down, been up and down. So he he's kind of seen that 
that quick turnaround before. So I think probably probably the smarter move was was Justin Algar. I just think the uh, the more futuristic move may be Noah Gragson. So we'll we'll see how that that shakes out in the coming weeks. And again, however long Jimmy Johnson is out uh, is going to dictate you know a lot of um, a lot of how that goes. But uh, but nonetheless, Jimmy Johnson did miss his first Cup race in his career uh, for sickness. And, of course, he will have to do so again uh, come in the coming weeks. It also means he's going to miss the All-Star race. I know he probably uh, was looking forward to that. Again, being at Bristol, beating and banging uh, there in Thunder Valley, I know that was probably something that was really exciting for a lot of drivers, uh, especially Jimmy Johnson. You wouldn't tell because Jimmy's, Jimmy's pretty dry when it comes to that, that uh, emotion side of things. But, uh, nonetheless, Jimmy Johnson will not be able – uh, to participate but you know that's uh that's kind of the nascar segment we've caught up kevin harvick wins at the brickyard jimmy johnson has the rona uh, that's where we're at that's what we're talking about let's take us a quick break listen to these great sponsors when we come back we're going to talk about how coronavirus testing is going to affect the college football games concerns about what july can bring that would change scheduling for college athletics and then also Pat Mahomes, quarterback of the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, signs a deal that locks him up through 2031 and is almost worth, uh, well, it is worth half a billion dollars. We'll talk about the the, the facts, the, the realistic side of, of that deal and what it actually locks in for Patrick Mahomes on the flip side of the break. You're listening to The Grind, 100.9 FM, 8.50 AM, and streaming at WKBL.com. We'll be right back. You don't want to miss it. Your hometown alternative to Ordinary Sports Radio, 100.9 FM, 8.50 AM. Rocky Top Sports. Buying a home is one of the biggest financial decisions you will ever make, and it can be overwhelming, but Donna Cry at Mortgage Investors Group is committed to making your home buying experience a pleasure. Donna Cry is my personal home mortgage specialist. MIG is rated number one in residential mortgage lenders in Tennessee. Are you considering a new home? Then use who I trust, Donna Cry with Mortgage Investors Group in Maryville. Whether you're buying your first home or your fifth, Donna will help you put your home ownership plans into action. Call Donna at 865-984-9948 or go to DonnaCry.com. MIG is an equal housing lender. When the temps heat up, drive in comfort with the lowest prices every day on refrigerant from Rule King. This week's Rudy Special is a 12-ounce R134A auto air conditioning refrigerant for just $2.99. The other guys are $4.99. This is for a limited time. Brands may vary and limit 12 per customer. For all your automotive needs, Check out the selection and low prices at your neighborhood Rule King, America's farm and home store. Are you looking for a place to relax and have fun after work or a place to fill the weekend fun? Check out the Party Pub in the heart of Maryville. They open at 7.30 a.m. and have daily drink specials. They have darts, karaoke, and billiards daily, as well as Tennessee football each and every Big Orange Saturday in the fall. So check out the Party Pub on Ellis Avenue in downtown Maryville, a place where they treat you like family, and it's always a good time. In uncertain times, you can be certain of this. The Salvation Army is serving those most in need with help 
and hope. Thanks to your donations, the Salvation Army is helping those affected by COVID-19. Those who've lost wages, who have no home to retreat to, who need food, help with utilities, and most of all, hope. To see how you can continue to make a difference, visit SalvationArmyUSA.org. 2020 has been anything but predictable, but there is one thing we can count on. Football will be back. Blunt Broadcasting is proud to remain the radio home for two of Tennessee's most successful high school football programs, Maribel High School and Alcoa High School. Each team looks to repeat as state champions, and your support is needed to get these great programs off and running here in 2020. So, if you or your business would like to support these great student athletes and great coaches, then help Blunt Broadcasting get their games on the radio. Give us a call and let WGAP and WKVL Radio get working for you. Give us a call at 865-724-1100. That's 865-724-1100. Or shoot us an email at info at wkbl.com. Let's work together to get your great business and these local high schools the exposure they have earned and deserve. Have you been asking yourself if it's time to take that business idea and make it a reality? Do you need help with marketing or getting a leg up on the competition? Then check out my friends at 42nd Street Marketing right here in Maryville, a company invested in Blount County and ready to help. They can take your business to the next level. Mike, Jana, and the staff at 42nd Street are a dream to work with, and I'm proud to say that they built the grindonsports.com into what it is today. But if you need marketing and maybe don't know where to start, check out my guys at 42nd Street Marketing right here in Maryville. Their phone number is 865-982-7007, or you can check out their work online, 42sd.com. Again, phone line is 865-982-7007, or online at 42sd.com. Check them out. I think you'll be glad you did. Got golf? iguanifarmsgolf.com 970-7132 Have you heard about or seen The Grind's brand new user-friendly website? If the answer is no, I think you're kind of missing out. Our brand new website has ways to hook into The Grind from social media with links to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud so you can grind it out with us on social media. But if you say, I don't like social media, but I like podcasts. We've got those too. You can download the Grind Podcast on Apple Podcast and Google Play Music directly from the website. It's a one-stop shop for everything the Grind. Check us out online, thegrindonsports.com. That's thegrindonsports.com. We don't always promise to be perfect, but we promise to give you our honest opinion. This is sports radio from a fan's perspective. You're listening to The Grind on 100.9 FM, 850 AM, Rocky Top Sports. Crimson Tide fans, LSU Tiger fans, South Carolina Gamecock fans, 
Arkansas Razorback fans. Kentucky. Anybody from Kentucky? Now y'all ain't gonna like this one. Because every time the Tennessee Falls make a touchdown, you have to listen to it. Again, that's the the late great Charlie Daniels. As uh, Charlie Daniels passed away yesterday at the age of eighty three, and, and and you know when you think about you know in, in any in any genre in any in any musical, they're 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 musicians, but they they have a, an affection for sports. And, and Charlie Daniels was ours, you know. And when I say that, he he liked Tennessee. He he liked the Volunteers. And every chance he got, uh, he made it a good point uh, to do that. So uh, as we come back from breaks this morning, I just, you know, why not? It's 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 60 minutes to spend however we feel like it, and those are some, some good uh, situations to bring out. So he's got that one. He's got the Volunteers song. If you haven't heard that one, we'll play that one uh, coming back from the next break. But, again, remembering the late, great Charlie Daniels this morning, 83 years old, uh, died yesterday. It looks like of a stroke. Uh, and he is uh, he is now um, he, he's you know it's I've told everybody I was like it's 2020 craps gotta <laughs> we've got to slow up at some point you know 
we've lost Charlie Daniels, we've we've lost Johnny Majors, we've lost all these all these greats, and and now and we're we're in July, like it's it's halfway. You know, we've just finished the halfway point, but but nonetheless, uh, again, remembering him today. So we'll we'll play some of his songs as the day goes along. But as promised, coming out of the last break and going into to this segment, uh, the three things we'll talk about here are the coronavirus testing, how that's kind of becoming uh, a little bit of a financial burden for some some colleges, uh, uh, how the waiting wait and see approach has made it to July and how we're, the, the Power Five conferences are moving forward and what they're saying about making decisions about the fall. And then, of course, at the end of this segment, we'll talk about Pat Mahomes' huge deal as he has uh, signed a big deal worth over half a billion dollars. Like, I'd just like to be able to be Patrick Mahomes and say that because I'm pretty sure at some point the pinky has went in the corner of the mouth and went $500 million. I just, I feel like he should do that. He might not even know what that means. He's he's so young. I don't even know if he knows what that means. But anyway, I digress. But uh, coronavirus testing has become somewhat of a burden on athletic budgets. Coastal Carolina uh, in South Carolina, right there at Myrtle Beach, already had one of the smaller budgets in FBS, and that was before a fifteen percent spending cut was ordered because of projected declines in state funding and student fees stemming from the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Facing the prospect of having to pay for testing of returning athletes and staff for the virus this summer, Athletic Director Matt Hogue went to work finding a way to defray cost. Uh, His 19-sport program includes about 450 athletes, and with individual tests currently costing about 100 bucks, he said testing could cost hundreds of thousands of dollars by the end of the 2020. 2020-2021 academic year. He he found help from a local healthcare company, a longtime sponsor of Coastal Carolina that will provide free tests at least while athletes are coming back to, to campus this summer. Uh, some of the tools and tactics you have to employ because you're on an institution where you have to watch your dollars, that's already may have you prepared to see some solution. Uh, but uh, if you're other that just simply write a check, uh, you... you um, you may have a better option, but he said we had to get very creative. Athletic departments can't always count on their insurance carriers of those uh, to pay for testing. According to federal guidance uh, issued June the 23rd, insurers are required to cover individuals who show symptoms or have been exposed to someone who is symptomatic. Uh, so-called surveillance testing is not part of the mandate. A few-hour drive from Coastal Carolina, East Carolina, is dealing with managing the cost of tests and safety protocols as as it leads up to the American Athletic Conference School to cut four varsity sports in May. Uh, Athletic Director John Gilbert said the school has already budgeted $100,000 for coronavirus expenses that include testing, supplies, masks, etc. He expects to exceed that amount and says some schools could end up spending uh, near half a million dollars depending on the number of cases found and how they react. He said it's extremely challenging because of the unknown. And the unknown is we can bring a team back in August when school starts and we can test them and everybody be negative. But as soon as they leave their bubble and go in the general population, then we're all vulnerable to being infected. Nebraska's $140 million budget in 2019-2020 is more than five times greater 
in Coastal Carolina as it sits at $25.5 million. The Cornhuskers 24-sport program has about 600 athletes and is, is one of a handful that makes money. Although a 10% budget cut was announced recently, the program is able to absorb the cost of testing in part because of its affiliation with the university medical school. Uh, Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose and Hogue both said following best practice for testing as recommended by the NCAA, he said, we're not going to skimp. He said, this is a legitimate expense and it's somewhere, it's something we're prepared to incur. Uh, Coastal Carolina and Nebraska are obviously on two ends of the spectrum, but have taken similar approaches in bringing athletes back to campus for voluntary workouts. Athletes are tested upon their return, and if the result is negative, there is no plan to test athletes again unless they show symptoms. Uh, Temperature checks are done on everybody entering athletic facilities. Um, Neither school has announced plans for in-season testing procedures and protocols. Experts have said football players should be tested at least once or twice per week to be cleared to play in that week's game. Uh, the financial burden could be uh, could be eased in time as laboratories are developing methods for testing multiple athletes simultaneously, a process known as pool testing and commonly used to screen blood donors for diseases such as HIV and hepatitis. Uh, Sean Murray, but again, I, that's that's scary to me. I don't know what that entails. Like, I, I don't know. I, that's okay. So instead of you have one test, you have one positive, you have one thing to deal with, now you have one positive and eight negatives, and now you have nine people that you have to quarantine. Financially smart, maybe. Uh, realistically smart, maybe not. Uh, Sean Murray, president of Eurofins Laboratory in Des Moines, Iowa, said pool screening a large group of asymptomatic people when there is an expectation a uh, few of them will test positive. It would not save time, uh, but it would make virus hot spots. An example, nasal or saliva samples are taken from 10 athletes. Half of each sample is combined with the others and run through a singular test. If it comes back negative, all 10 are cleared. If it's positive, the remaining sample from each athlete would be tested separately to identify the infected athlete or athletes. Assuming the pool test is negative, Murray estimated the cost at about $150 for the test. That would be $15 per athlete. To test 10 samples together, uh, that, that is in, in opposition to the $1,000 uh, to test 10 samples separately. So I, I, like I said, I think financially it's probably a smarter option. But I think it's one of those deals. So even if, okay, you test, you test, it's a positive, you, you test the uh, other samples. Well, that's not realistic at this point because that sample was, was taken when they had been, you know, somewhat isolated. When you put them, expose them to whoever was the positive test, to, needs to be a different sample. Uh, that's just my opinion. Uh, lab offering sample pool tests for the coronavirus would need to apply uh, for emergency authorization from the FDA, which has not cleared the technique. The FDA issued some early guidance on testing methods, but want to first to determine uh, that mixing samples doesn't reduce accuracy. Chick jing. Uh, the big limiting factor for us actually doing it, said Brent Lewis of East Tennessee State, uh, director of sports medicine. He said, the people we go through right now, they prefer to do it until the FDA kind of gives the go-ahead. Like, yeah, this is a good avenue to go. Uh, but Brian Han- Hainline, uh, the NCAA chief medical officer, said 
pool testing has proved successful when testing for HIV among pool blood donors. Uh, similar strategies, assuming high sensitivity, are also very promising for COVID-19 testing. So there's a lot of things out there, but Stuart did note the importance of timing. If a pool test were done the Thursday before a Saturday game and it turned up positive, there may not be enough time to process the individual test to identify who they are. So you could lose the entire pool for that weekend given uh, a positive test. So it's it's risk-reward, right? Uh, asymptomatic is a thing with this, so uh, it's a little different. I, I would like to think um, you don't get tested for HIV unless you're showing a symptom of HIV. Hepatitis be the same. So I, I think it's a little different. And it's really just uh, it's up to the, the university and it's up to the athletic group and the medical staff to really understand what are, what are you giving up. If you're going to do pool testing, I say you do it on Mondays. Uh, that's just my opinion because it gives you all week to, to verify, as they say, and, uh, and get, get down to, to who the positive test was and how do you, how do you clean the other, the other samples and how do you understand it and rely on and trust that that data is not tainted now that they've been exposed to whoever was the positive test athlete. So a lot of questions, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of things going on with testing and how, how are we going to stay true to that, true to that? Because I think that athletic director that said, you know, once they leave their bubble, uh, they're, they're back at, at, at a vulnerable state. I think that's absolutely true. Uh, you, you know, I'm, uh, we were talking earlier and again, I know a hundred dollars per test is a lot of money and, and, and there's a lot of athletic departments. There's a lot of schools. There's a lot of everything that can't afford that. And I think that's where the government's got to step in and, and, and help from some, some point, because again, there's federal revenue made from sports. So you can't tell me that, uh, that some of that can't be fed back into this testing protocol, but uh, Power Five leaders uh, are also showing a little strain, a little sign of of, of wait and see approach about the on time start of college football. And it says as the number of cases continue to climb throughout the country, and this is an article from Heather Denage, uh, senior writer, ESPN. It said the level of concern among college football decision makers have went up, uh, but the Power Five conference leaders told ESPN they still aren't ready to make any decisions. Uh, regarding the sports calendar, instead targeting the end of July to determine if the season can start on time. It said, this is Greg Sankey talking. He said, we've said from the onset of this pandemic that circumstances around the virus would give our direction uh, and our decision-making. And it, it's clear with recent developments that the COVID-19 has not been trending in the right direction. Uh, but he said there are important decisions to be made in the coming weeks. And by late July... There should be more clarity about the fall season. But in the meantime, our athletic programs will continue to manage the health and safety of our student-athletes as they continue voluntary activities on their respective campuses. The transition from voluntary to mandatory workouts is already here, as schools that open the season on August 29th could begin required workouts as early as Monday. Uh, but for teams that begin the season Labor Day weekend, Required workouts will begin July 13th, followed by an enhanced training schedule that begins the 24th of July and a normal four-week preseason camp starting August the 7th. West Virginia Athletic Director Shane Lyons, who's chair of the Football Oversight Committee and helped spearhead the NCAA-approved six-week return plan, uh, said moving forward with it, 
uh, will have to be a campus-to-campus decision. Uh, For us in college sports and sports in general, he said it's not trending the way we were hoping uh, that it would this time of year. According to the Washington Post, the United States on Monday entered its 28th straight day of reporting record high average infections. American Athletic Conference Commissioner Mike Oresco uh, said Friday that if students don't return to college campuses this fall, all bets are off. He said, I'm still not of the mind to say, gee, we shouldn't do this or, or we should throw in the towel. But on the other hand, I'm less confident than I was maybe maybe a week ago. Absolutely. He said, I don't think there's any way we wouldn't be. He said, the key is going to be our students returning to campus. It's very unlikely that we would play fall sports. Highly unlikely we would play fall sports if we didn't have our students back on campus. He said, if our presidents and chancellors didn't feel it was safe to have our students back on campus, it would be hard to see college sports happening. Uh, But with the plan to get students back on campus, uh, we still have an opportunity. Uh, One FBS commissioner who spoke candidly on the conditions of anonymity uh, took it a little step further. He said, I'm very concerned. He said, for so long we've been saying we had time and things were going to change, and we were very hopeful. I'm still hopeful that we have college football, but I'm just more pessimistic uh, that we won't have it on time. He said, I don't see us starting on time at this point. One day I thought, I better look at a calendar because I felt like it was March 11th again. Uh, (laughs) We've all been there, whoever this would be. Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby uh, said Monday that until the conference is told to stop, by local health and government, it will continue to put one foot in front of the other. He said, I think you have to be paying attention. If you haven't noticed, the trends are not positive. But the campuses are learning how to coexist with the virus, and so they're learning more about the testing and about how you go about managing it. He said, we haven't been told by public health officials or other local doctors or scientific consultants that we should stop doing what we're doing. My feeling is we just keep putting one foot in front of the other until you're advised it's a bad idea. When we get that advice, obviously the safety, health, and well-being of our student-athletes will be first. But he said when we're told this just isn't going to work out, obviously nobody is going to be resisting that. But that hasn't been said to us at this point. Uh, You know, Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott said that he continues to be hopeful the season can start on time, uh, but acknowledges that he must be flexible. He said there's no denying that the last few weeks – Things have taken a turn for the worse in much of our country and much of our conferences in terms of what happened when governors and local officials have taken their foot off the brake just a little bit, Scott said. He said, I've tried to be cautiously optimistic, and that's becoming a little harder over the last couple of weeks, but we're going to take a lot of guidance from what our campuses do over the coming weeks and see how the data trends and what our medical experts seem to be saying. Uh, Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren Uh, was not uh, available for comment, uh, but has kept the league's discussion mostly internal. Uh, Very big ten of them. Uh, At West Virginia, you know, we've already talked about athletic director Lyons. He said four football players have tested positive last week, and there's five positive tests in men's basketball. So he delayed their return from July 6th to July 20th. While he hasn't had to halt the football workouts yet, Lyons said the next three weeks will be critical to making an informed decision about the season. Uh, Everybody's saying the last week of July is kind of where they're 
the critical mass where they're going to be when they have to really look at, at the start of this season. And, and I think that's a place uh, that you can feel good about it, and that's where they can they can kind of halt up. But I, I think, you, you know, the major significant change so far uh, is is there was there was a change to Notre Dame's schedule uh, that, that there was a scheduled game with Navy at the Navy Marine Corps Memorial in Annapolis, uh, most likely on, on Labor Day weekend. That has moved from Dublin, Ireland, uh, where it was originally planned. Again, trying to to quarantine and try to, to, to hone in on, on keeping people uh, from going into international land. So uh, Navy Athletic Director Chet Gladchuck uh, told ESPN uh, on Friday that both schools are still planning for the game to take place, but conceded his overall confidence level has been dwindling. Um, I think that's that's a that's an understatement from everyone. So if you look across the country, all the commissioners are saying the same thing. Uh, we're, we're we're losing a little bit of hope, but we also still have hope. Uh, we we want to look at at how the the season progresses and how we get to the end of July. And we being college football, we being fans, we being everybody, just needs to stick with it. You know, if you look at it and and you're you're optimistic, I think you're you're in good shape. Uh, and if you look at it and you're pessimistic, you probably have some some backing that that would would you know let me trend to to be on that side of things. But you know, I think at this point, uh, the volatility of 2020. I mean, we have just as much opportunity for things to straighten up as we do for them to go more negative. So uh, I trend. I I hope to stay on the positive. Uh, side of that coin but you know as we uh get to the positive side of the coin we're gonna have to cut off this Patrick Mahomes uh contract talks we we can possibly talk it tomorrow as as the money is there let's just say Patrick Mahomes ain't going anywhere for for anytime soon no trade clause uh, a big time injury uh guaranteed money set and then ultimately uh some money on the back end that could help the Chiefs uh, in the long run so we'll, we can talk about that tomorrow but we're going to take our last break of the day listen to these great sponsors when we come back we're going to talk about 60 days until it's football time in tennessee we're going to talk about who wore it for the vols who doesn't wear it for the vols right now as we currently don't have a 60 who are, who's in the nfl hall of fame at the number 60 and who were champions in the year 1960. We'll talk it all on the flip. You're listening to The Grind, 100.9 FM, 8.50 AM, and streaming at WKVL.com. We'll be right back. You don't want to miss it. Buying a home is one of the biggest financial decisions you will ever make, and it can be overwhelming. But Donna Cry at Mortgage Investors Group is committed to making your home buying experience a pleasure. Donna Cry is my personal home mortgage specialist. MIG is rated number one in residential mortgage lenders in Tennessee. Are you considering a new home? Then use who I trust, Donna Cry with Mortgage Investors Group in Maryville. Whether you're buying your first home or your fifth, Donna will help you put your home ownership plans into action. Call Donna at 865-984-9948 
or go to DonnaCry.com. MIG is an equal housing lender. The Blunt Partnership is committed to leading the Blunt County business community through this coronavirus outbreak. We will continue to be a resource for all businesses as well as supplying up-to-date information for our community. Please check out our website for updated information at www.bluntchamber.com or search for Blunt Chamber on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Are you looking for a place to relax and have fun after work or a place to fill the weekend fun? Check out the Party Pub in the heart of Maryville. They open at 7.30 a.m. and have daily drink specials. They have darts, karaoke, and billiards daily, as well as Tennessee football each and every Big Orange Saturday in the fall. So check out the Party Pub on Ellis Avenue in downtown Maryville, a place where they treat you like family, and it's always a good time. Have you been asking yourself if it's time to take that business idea and make it a reality? Do you need help with marketing or getting a leg up on the competition? Then check out my friends at 42nd Street Marketing right here in Maryville, a company invested in Blount County and ready to help. They can take your business to the next level. Mike, Jana, and the staff at 42nd Street are a dream to work with, and I'm proud to say that they built the grindonsports.com into what it is today. But if you need marketing and maybe don't know where to start, check out my guys at 42nd Street Marketing right here in Maryville. Their phone number is 865-982-7007, or you can check out their work online, 42sd.com. Again, phone line is 865-982-7007, or online at 42sd.com. Check them out. I think you'll be glad you did. 2020 has been anything but predictable, but there is one thing we can count on. Football will be back. Blunt Broadcasting is proud to remain the radio home for two of Tennessee's most successful high school football programs, Maribel High School and Alcoa High School. Each team looks to repeat as state champions, and your support is needed to get these great programs off and running here in 2020. So, if you or your business would like to support these great student-athletes and great coaches, then help Blunt Broadcasting get their games on the radio. Give us a call and let WGAP and WKVL Radio get working for you. Give us a call at 865-724-1100. That's 865-724-1100. Or shoot us an email at info at WKVL.com. Let's work together to get your great business and these local high schools the exposure they have earned and deserve. Have you heard about or seen the Grind's brand new user-friendly website? If the answer is no, I think you're kind of missing out. Our brand new website has ways to hook into the Grind from social media with links to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud so you can grind it out with us on social media. But if you say, I don't like social media, but I like podcasts. We've got those too. You can download the Grind Podcast on Apple Podcast and Google Play Music directly from the website. It's a one-stop shop for everything the Grind. Check us out online, thegrindonsports.com. That's thegrindonsports.com. We don't always promise to be perfect, but we promise to give you our honest opinion. This is sports radio from a fan's perspective. You're listening to The Grind on 100.9 FM, 8.50 AM, Rocky Top Sports.
one Saturday morning, it was a cold and rainy day, when a bus pulled up and a team filed out claiming they were ready to play. The coin was tossed, the ball was snapped as the balls cranked up the steam. You could see the sweat and fear wash across the face of the other team. You better buckle up your chin strap and pray that you'll survive. Cause when the Tennessee Falls take the field, you'll be lucky to get out Volunteers. Uh, Charlie Daniels passes away yesterday, age of 83, and um, and gone too soon. It just seems like you know we're getting to that time when when everybody's at that age, but doesn't make it any easier. So playing a few Charlie Daniels tunes that we own no rights to. Just want that to be known. Uh, so if if you didn't like that, just don't listen to that part again. So. Anyway, uh, 60 days till it's football time in Tennessee. We want to talk a little bit about that as we finish up today's show. About nine minutes to go uh, here in the until the top of the hour. If you look at the jersey countdown, Bill Pierman is one of the big number 60s for the Vols all time. Bill Pierman was one of three All-American selections from the Tennessee's 1951 consensus national championship seasons. The two-year starter at right Defensive tackle helped the Vols hold their opponents to 116 points on the season. Tennessee's defense pitched five shutouts in 10 games during the undefeated 
regular season and help the Vols hold a number one ranking for six weeks on the year heading in to the Sugar Bowl. Tennessee was a combined 33-9-1 when Pierman was in uniform. 28 of those wins coming in the final three seasons of his career. Uh, when you talk about why people wore the number 60, Carson Anderson, who was a offensive lineman 2008 through 2011, he said, 60 is important to me because it represents how long it takes to play a football game. The number reminds me to go hard every minute of every game. And I love that's That's a really – some people have good reasons, some people don't. But I, I like that one just because it does have meaning uh, to him. But if you look at all-time 60s, uh, Melvin Herring wore it in 37, Wallace Cantrell 39, Ermal Howard 41, Charles Snowden 42, Albert Bom- Bomber 1944, Tom Blake 1945, Harry Johnson 1946, Bill Pierman 47 through 51, Darius McCord 52 and 3, Charles Coffey 54 5, Jack Edgman uh, 56, Wade Cormany 1957, Bob Brown 1958 and 9, Larry Richards, 60 through 62, Ed Phillips, 1963, Robbie Franklin wore it 64 through 66, Stan Heimelsbaugh wore it 1967 on a national championship year, John Keller uh, wore it 68 through 70, Gene Killian, 71, 2 and 3, Ed Sears, 1974, Leo Malwix, uh, 1974, Ray Laws also wore it in 74, Steve White, 75 and 6. Jim Noonan wore it 77 through 80. Alexander Mills, 82. Tony Williams, 83, 4 and 5. Dwayne Williamson, 86. Robin Perry, 87 and 8. Jim Fenwick, 90, 91. Ralph Nelson, 93, 4 and 5. Matt Gooden, set 97 and 98. Robert Stollerick, uh, 2000. Chavis Smith, 2001 through 3. Kurt Swearinger, 2006, and Carson Anderson, 2008 through 2011. Again, currently as a as a staff and as a a roster, there is no uh, number 60 on the docket for this year's volunteers. But it, it's weird; it goes from 59 to 63. So for whatever reason, there's a three little number gap uh, that uh, nobody nobody picked those numbers up. But uh, that doesn't keep us from talking about it. If you look at all time number 60s. A couple huge names uh, jump out as as stalwarts in the sport and what really got the NFL off and running. When you talk about Concrete Charlie, we talk about Chuck Bittnerick. He said, if I could relive my life, it would be in those times the Eagle teams I played on were like family, particularly that 1960s championship team. I guess talking about whether he would move forward and relive his life in a newer era. Uh, 14 seasons in the NFL out of Pennsylvania, the 6'3", 233-pound Charles Philip Bednarik was a two-time Pennsylvania All-American. He was Eagle, the Eagles' bonus draft choice in 1949, NFL's last Ironman star as he played both ways. He was known as rugged, durable, bulldozing as a blocker, a bone-jarring tackler, and missed only three games in 14 years. He was nine-time an All-NFL selection, played in eight Pro Bowls, MVP of the 1954 game, named NFL's all-time center in 1969, played 58 minutes, made game-saving tackles in the 1960 NFL title game, and born May the 1st, 1925 from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, 
Chuck Bednarik rocked the number 60 for the NFL for a long time and, quite frankly, uh, may have played 28 seasons when you look at playing both ways uh, because people don't do that anymore. He really um, used up his body uh, really quickly going both ways. One of the last Ironman stars, as it, as it noted, alluded to there. Uh, Otto Graham, quarterback uh, for, for a lot of years, 10 long seasons, said pro football's no game for weaklings. Everyone knows that. The men are rugged. They play hard, but they play clean. When they get when big men get in big time football, they're good enough not to have to play dirty. He said, We love the game and we believe football competition as well as all sport competition make high types of men. Uh, he must have played uh, outside of uh, of maybe a few teams, <laughs> the Raiders and, and others. But ten seasons out of Northwestern, six one, hundred and ninety six pounds, Otto Everett Graham Jr. was a college tailback, but switched to a T quarterback. In the, pro, in the pros, guided Browns to 10 division or league crowns in 10 years, uh, topped the AAFC passer, uh, passers four years, NFL two years, all league, nine of his 10 years, four touchdown passes in the 1950 title game, uh, had three touchdowns running, three touchdowns passing in the 1954 title game. He career passed for 23,584, 174 touchdowns. He scored 276 points on 46 touchdowns. And from Waukegan, Illinois, born December 6, 1926, Otto Graham was a great number 60. You talk about Otto Graham. He's, he's one of those Mount Rushmore guys. He's one of those guys that you put on the on the Mount Rushmore of, of sports. And, and he's really – uh, he's one of those early guys for Paul Brown where really the Cleveland Browns were, were the talk of the league or talk of the league that they were in. Uh, he turned out, uh, you know, Otto Graham did awesome things. He was 52-4-1 and one, uh, as, a, as a starter. He won four straight AAFC titles and, and, and like I said, a 52-4-3 and three record uh, as a starter. So I think that speaks uh, to what was going on there. When you look at the year 1960, because, again, 60 days – until it's football time in Tennessee. You go no farther than talking about the Cotton Bowl. The 59 season saw the Syracuse Orangemen win 23-17 over the Texas Longhorns to win the national championship. Uh, when you look at National Football League stuff, Pete Rozelle was named commissioner of the league. The league expanded to Dallas uh, for the 1960 season and the Minneapolis-St. Paul area for the 61 season the Chicago Cardinals relocated to St. Louis to become what was known as the St. Louis Cardinals so again uh, a big change there they've since moved moved a little more west December 26 the NFL championship Philadelphia Eagles won 17 to 13 over the Green Bay Packers and the American Football League the AFL played in its very uh, first season uh, the first African-American football place kicker, Gene Mingo, uh, played for the Denver Broncos of the AFL. And the first Hispanic pro football quarterback, Tom Flores, started for the Oakland Raiders. Those were some of the great uh, great starts there in the, in the football side of things. Boston Celtics win four games to three over the St. Louis Hawks. And uh, looks like I'm trying to find it. I don't see one listed. NCAA uh, must not have been there. The World Series saw the Pittsburgh Pirates win four games to three over the Yankees. But that's 1960. But if you're on your way to work or on your way home, take care, be safe, and yes, 
Grind On. We'll see you tomorrow. You don't want to miss it.